It's good to see all of you here again this evening. We appreciate your presence. And uh, I wish that you all could have been where I was uh, this morning as you all were filing out. We had a lesson on um, people in our lives that we need. We need people. None of us can go it alone. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about various people in our lives. And uh, this morning, we talked about Barnabas and how that all of us need a Barnabas in our life. We need to pull those people in. And because we all need encouragement, we need to be shown examples of how to live and so forth. But standing at the back door, I can't tell you how many of you came by and said, you want to know who my Barnabas is? My Barnabas is so-and-so, and it was somebody here in this congregation. That's encouraging uh, to know that you already have those people in your lives and uh, what I would just ask you to do is not just tell me at the back door, but tell those people who are your Barnabas and let them know that they hold that position in uh, your life. Now, what I think might even be more interesting is when we do Who's Your Jezebel. I, I might learn a, learn a few things from that, too, but uh, I don't think we'll have that lesson. Tonight, I want us to uh, look at an Old Testament passage. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Malachi. Last book in the Old Testament. And I think there's some statements there in chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's a short book, but, um, at, well, in verse chapter 4 as well. But Malachi deals with worship or addresses the issue of worship. And we've been talking about that a little bit in our our Bible classes, as we're talking about church growth, one of the things that we want to do is to make our worship as meaningful as possible. If you can have something that takes place here that helps a person to develop a relationship with God instead of just simply coming to a building and going through the motions and meeting obligations, that is conducive to church growth. What we have in the book of Malachi is the exact opposite of that. We have people that were worshiping God, but they were not really worshiping God. Or at least their efforts weren't successful. Their attempts to worship were not what they ought to have been. And I think we find ourselves there. If we were to be absolutely truthful and honest, we would probably all say, I came to worship and I left having not done what I set out to do. It might be because of the thing that the person said to you when you came in the door that you didn't appreciate, you couldn't get it out of your mind, and it just stuck with you. It could be because of the people that were sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you, and uh, they got distracting and, and you, you didn't get it done. There are a number of reasons why we might not worship the God of heaven as we assemble together to do that very thing. But I want us to understand, and so that we can be aware of the challenges of worship, even though it is done every week, at least in a corporate setting, it is one of the most challenging things that we are called upon to do. Now, we can worship at home, and we can have uh, pay homage to God at home, but there's this corporate setting, a corporate worship that the Bible speaks of, and uh, that is a difficult thing. And what I want us to do is to be able to identify three ways that our worship uh, can be in danger of being meaningless. 
and, and empty. I, I will say this, and just a quick history before we get started into the, the three points. Worship has always been difficult. You go back to, well, Cain and Abel in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, and we see that uh, Cain and Abel worshiped God. Abel did so successfully, Cain did not. Now, I don't know all the details as to what made Cain's worship not as acceptable to God's, but I do know that the Hebrew writer said that what Cain did was not a faith. And so there was a problem. He attempted to worship but he did not successfully complete that worship. You can move forward to Leviticus chapter 10 and verses 1 through 10. You read of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and their priests serving God, worshiping, and they offer a, a strange fire, an unauthorized fire. And the Bible says a fire came down from heaven and consumed them right there on the spots. Their worship, obviously, was not acceptable to God. They didn't do something right. And there are probably several factors that uh, came to bear on that, that particular occasion that caused God to react so uh, harshly. But here are two that worshipped, but it ended in disaster. You can come to the days of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 as He spoke of the Pharisees and verse 80 talked about how they honor Him with His lips, with their lips, but their heart is far from Me, He said. He said, in vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You can turn over to the book of Colossians in chapter 2 and you can read of what uh, the King James, New King James calls a will worship. There were several self-imposed rules and regulations that some brethren had placed upon themselves in an attempt to discipline themselves to, to be more holy and, and righteous. And Paul said, I, I see where that has a show of wisdom. I know what you're trying to do, but really it's not, it's not effective. And he went on to say that they were, in essence, involving themselves in something that was comparable to will worship, offering to God what they think rather than what God wanted. And so it's, it's been a challenge from the beginning. It remains a challenge today. And if we were to add to this outline here, I could put your name up there, and you could put my name up there, and we could tell our story of failure. So how do we worship God acceptably? What does it take? What are the dangers? Well, we go back to the book of Malachi. And God, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and God's not happy with some of the things that He sees. And some of the things that make Him dissatisfied and unhappy is the way they were going about worship. And so He writes to rebuke them for the way that they were approaching Him. Uh, and here are three things. Here's the lesson, three points that they were doing that was wrong in reference to worship. Number one, they were not giving God what was due. God is a holy God. We need to understand that. We didn't come here to talk about a, a ball game or to, to hang out with friends. We came here to enter the presence of a holy God and to pay homage to Him for who He is and for what He's done. He's not only a, a holy God, but He is a benevolent God. 
Do you understand how indebted you are to the God of heaven? Without Him taking interest, personal interest into your life, you'd be lost. You sinned. You became unholy. And were it not for God taking it upon Himself, not because of your goodness, but because of His goodness, to set in motion a scheme of redemption whereby you can be reconciled to Him, where He can be both the just, He can remain just and be the justifier of men, we would be lost forever. We're coming... A few years ago, the uh, women's, I can't remember what it was, lacrosse team from maybe Rutgers went to the, the White House, and they made national news because what they did, some of the girls had flip-flops on when they met the president, and that made news. Can you believe that these women... These young ladies would, would come into the presence of the President of the United States and have so little regard for Him that they would wear flip-flops. That made national news. Now, I'm not setting some kind of dress standard here, but I want you to understand that if even in our desensitized culture we respect and we, we understand that there are certain norms that show respect and honor that ought to be more so true when it comes to approaching the God of heaven. We need to understand that we are in the presence of a holy God. They didn't apparently understand that. Malachi chapter 1, and look at what it says in verse 6. God asked this question through the prophet Malachi. A son honors his father, and a servant his master if then I am the Father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? God says, you know enough to respect your mom and dad. You know enough to respect people in, in position of authority, your masters. He said, I'm more than they are. I'm your master. I'm your heavenly father. Where's my respect? And they had the nerve to say, what are you talking about, God? In what way have we disrespected you? And so he, he begins in chapter 1 to enumerate a number of things wherein they showed disrespect. I want you to remember, in, in the book of Revelation, John is given this vision. And... Uh, he, there's a scroll that contains things that are shortly to take place. But that scroll is sealed. And, and they say, who is worthy to open this seal? To break the seal and to open and let us know what's going to happen in the near future. No one was worthy. And John began to weep because he wanted to know what the, the scroll held, the secrets that it contained. And he cried. And then one stepped forward who was worthy. It was a lamb. And then John looked again. He was a lion of the tribe of Judah. But the angel said, worthy is the lamb. And he was worthy. And he opened the scrolls. God, look at, look at what the angels and what those heavenly beings do in the book of Revelation when they come into the presence or when they are addressing God. The praise, the honor, the holiness, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven. 
we need to understand that as we come to worship, let's let's get out of this mindset that we're just doing a de- uh, an ordinary thing. This is special. We are in the presence of God. I think we have maybe said, and maybe if we were to talk about this, and people might say the same thing. Well, in what way have we disrespected God? There is a holiness in worship that I don't think we can sacrifice on the altar of entertainments. And I think people have done that. We want worship to be fun and exciting, and we want it to be something that uh, kind of is, is entertaining. And if it doesn't meet that criteria, then it's not really worship. And so there are churches that do nearly everything under the sun to try to make it as entertaining as possible. I want to experience joy in worship. There's nothing wrong with laughing. But there are some things about worship that cannot be sacrificed on the altar of entertainment. There, there is a dignity and a reverence as we approach God that we cannot just ignore or, or pitch aside. I think another way that people sometimes fail to honor God and show Him reverence when it comes to worship is the fact that we want to know and we're interested in what, what is it going to take to bring people in and we'll do those things and we fail to consider what God wants in worship. Why would we consult a secular society that knows little to nothing about spirituality as to what we ought to do in worship? Why would we let them dictate to us, God's children, how to worship God? That that just doesn't seem to, to fit. We need to... Worship is not about the person in the pew. It's not about pleasing us. It's about pleasing God. This is for Him. And it's as though God is sitting on His throne and we have the nerve to ask Him to get up, let us sit down. That's about what has happened in some places. Let's remember what we're doing. There is reverence that is due God. And if you come to worship without that reverence, you have not given God is due. And God had instructed them, I don't want this. I'll sacrifice. I don't want these lame and, and um, animals that, that have broken legs and so forth. They weren't giving Him what was right. Worship today oftentimes degenerates into offering God what He doesn't want. John 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If our worship is to be acceptable to God, we have to have the proper attitude, the mindset. It has to be done in the spirits, but it also has to be done according to truth. God is not obliged to accept whatever I offer Him. And I think that people think that He is. It doesn't matter what I do or, or what we offer up to God or what we say is worship. If we do it and we intend for it to be accepted to God, that He's somehow duty-bound to accept that and appreciate it. Not so. Talk to some of those Old Testament characters that need having a Abihu about that. You'll see that that's not the case. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, we're to do everything in word and deed. We're to do it all 
in the name of the Lord. A number of years ago, there was a Puritan preacher by the name of Richard Baxter. He lived during the year 1615 to 1691, during that time frame. But here's something that he said with reference to worship. He said, For what man dare go in a way which is neither precept nor example to warrant it? Can that be obedience which has no command for it? Oh, the pride of man's heart that instead of being a law obeyer will be a lawmaker. For my part, I will not fear that God will be angry for me are with me for doing no more than he has commanded me and sticking close to the rule of his word in matters of worship. But I should tremble to add or diminish. I think he understood the concept of giving God what is right. I don't want to give God what he hasn't authorized. I don't want to get out on my own and make my own laws. I I want to be a law obeyer, not a law maker. Not too long ago, a brother in Christ who has preached for years and years, was he's gotten to a point where he says, you know, I, I think that there are no regulations in worship. None. We can do whatever we want in worship. So a brother asked him, well, does that mean, well, well, what if I wanted to offer an animal sacrifice on Sunday? What if I wanted to kill a sheep, offer that as a sacrifice to God? Would you have any problem with that? And he said, well, the sheep might have a problem with it, but as far as I know, that's the only person that would. He said, if we truly intended for that to be a meaningful expression of our devotion to God, that God would be duty-bound to accept it. Really? You know, our children know better than that. And, And some elders somewhere ought to stand up and ask this man to sit down. If, if he doesn't know better than that. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're not left to our own devices. We've never been left to our own devices when it comes to worshiping God. And so we need to be careful. What do we do in worship? Well, we do those things that I have book, chapter, and verse 4. And if we don't, let's leave it alone, folks. That's part of the problem that we see in our are fighting and battling today. They didn't offer God what was due Him. They didn't offer God what was right. And here's the third thing. They didn't give God what was true. They went through the motions, but their heart wasn't in it. Look at what it says in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 13. You also say... Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. He's talking about worship, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? They were doing... These people understood that God expected them to worship. And so they would go to their weekly worship. And they would bring stolen animals. You go next door, you steal your neighbor's goat, and you bring it to, to God and offer it to Him. Or, or you take something that's lame or dying or sick, and, and you come and, and bring that to God, and then expect Him to accept that. Well, that's what they were doing. But it wasn't acceptable. 
as we worship, our heart, our mind has to be engaged. And if it's not, it's not worship. It's not acceptable worship. I mentioned this morning in Bible class, well, I guess really the last two weeks we were talking about in Acts chapter 10 and verse 33, Cornelius, when he calls for Peter and Peter comes and and he's ready to deliver the gospel to the Gentiles, Cornelius says, great, we're glad you're here, Peter. Now, you you can present this message to those of us who are here in the presence of God. God was the audience. Those that were hearing the message preached, they were the participants as much as Peter was. It was God who was sitting back and watching the whole thing. If you view yourself as the audience, you have the wrong view of worship. You're participants. God is sitting behind you watching what you do as things take place. I think sometimes we have, we sit in the pew and we look at the song leader and we look at the preacher and we look at the people who pray and we look at the people who serve the Lord's Supper and and we, we kind of critique how well they did. And then while we're critiquing them, God's sitting behind our shoulder and He's critiquing us. We have to give God what is true. If worship is a weariness, then we need to change some things. Instead of saying, and I, I mentioned this the other day, but instead of saying, oh great, it's Wednesday, we got Bible class, man, I'm so tired, it's been a rough week, and dreading going, why isn't it, oh great, it's worship, it's Wednesday, man, I've had a rough week, I sure am glad I have an opportunity to meet with brothers and sisters and, and be recharged. That's the way we should go about it. But they weren't. They didn't. It was weariness to them. Don't let, we- don't let worship become a weariness. And if we will back up and just remember what takes place, what we're doing, and who we're worshiping, I think it gets easier. Whatever we can do to remind ourselves that we are coming into the presence of God, and it's not a lark, it's not just a, a time of, of fellowship and getting around people that we like and cutting up and enjoying each other's company and all that. If we can get beyond that to understand we are here to thank a God who loves me enough to have sent His Son to die for me. And I will forever be indebted to Him. Without His love that was not motivated by anything that I had done, but before I ever, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. If I keep that in mind, I think our worship will be better, more acceptable to Him. Not too long ago, I was talking to somebody about worship. They were dimming the lights and having different things go on in and, and, and an effort to, to promote this spiritual feeling. Friends, spirituality is not equated with emotion. What is spiritual is what God says is spiritual. That differs from what makes me emotional. And if it takes the dimming of lights to make me 
appreciate God, then something's wrong with my heart. If I went to the funeral of my mother or father, who are still living, but if they were to pass and I went to their funeral, nobody would have to dim the lights for me to feel the way I ought to feel. I don't think that would be necessary. And if we just remember who God is and what He's done for us, those externals aren't necessary. It's a matter of the heart. Let us not offer to God that which is worthless. Let's offer to God what is meaningful to Him and meaningful to us. It's a challenge, but it's a challenge that we need to approach seriously and, and let's do this in a way that, that benefits us all. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a child of God, I encourage you to obey the gospel. There's no better life that you can live. And not only will it help you now, but it will prepare you for eternity. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, why don't you do that tonight? If you're a child of God already, and maybe you're not living as closely to Him as you used to, Maybe you've made some mistakes and other people know about it and you want them to know, I've changed my mind about that. I'm, I'm not that person anymore. Maybe you've had struggles that uh, you just need the church because you believe in prayer. You need the church to pray with you uh, so that those struggles can be overcome. If any of those apply to you, won't, won't you come as we stand together and sing? I encourage you to obey the gospel. There's no better life that you can live. And not only will it help you now, but it will prepare you for eternity. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, why don't you do that tonight? If you're a child of God already, and maybe you're not living as closely to Him as you used to, maybe you've made some mistakes and other people know about it and you want them to know, I've changed my mind about that. I'm, I'm not that person anymore. Maybe you've had struggles that uh, you just need the church because you believe in prayer, you need the church to pray with you uh, so that those struggles can be overcome. If any of those apply to you, won't, won't you come as we stand together and sing?